it's going to get better. Thank you, Dave. You can see why the president of our denomination keeps wanting Dave and the team to keep coming back every time they do a conference. If I were to ask you this morning, are there things in your life that you're looking forward to, I got to believe we'd all have an answer. Depending on where you're at in the stage of life, the answers would obviously be different. If you're working every day and you wonder, when am I going to get a break, or when is vacation coming, or just going through the routine of life, the day-to-day, the mundane, just keep folding and unfolding and all the things that go on with that, you probably would say, I just can't wait for summer. I can't wait for vacation. For others of you, I can't wait for that wedding. We've planned it for a long time, and all of a sudden, it's here. For some of you, it may be the birth of a child or the birth of the first child or the first grandchild, which, by the way, I want you to know as a grandparent, they're really expensive, much more expensive than your children. For others of you, I finally finished college. I've been planning it. I've worked at it. I've finally finished it. Now I can't wait to get into that job. For others of you, it's, oh, my goodness, I have a job. And now after all of the college experience, I have a job that I have to go to. I was in college and went from college directly to seminary. I had felt like I had so much information and so many things stuffed inside me in preparation for ministry. I couldn't wait to go. So I didn't even take my finals for my master's degree. I just said to Con, we're moving back to Western Pennsylvania. Didn't even know where to go. Didn't even know a church. Didn't know what door God would open, only to find out they were all closed and there were no churches open. I drove truck for two and a half years. Ten years later, I went back to get my master's degree. Couldn't wait to finally get out and get that job. And for others of you, you've also felt the same. For some of you, it's a a much bigger experience, not just a routine of life or the everyday experiences and you're looking forward to some particular event. For some of you, you've lost a loved one. And you know Jesus as your Savior, you know they knew Christ as your Savior, and what you're looking forward to is heaven. You want to see them. Some of you have lost a little one. You really want to see them. You want to know what they're doing and what is it like. For others of you, you've lost a parent, and you know they knew Christ, and, and you want to see them. You heard a pastor talk about that opportunity to see our loved ones again. He gave you sections of scripture out of the Bible and John 14 and Thessalonians and Revelation and all those kind of things. But it's one thing to have looked forward to it. It's another thing to experience it. And you're really looking forward to that. One of the hardest times of my ministry life, two of them actually on two extremes, to go to the pediatric intensive care unit at Children's Hospital, one of the most difficult things I do. Because you walk by bed after bed after bed after bed after bed after family who's really going through devastating circumstances till you get to the one that you're there to visit and it breaks your heart with every time you go by one of them. On the other extreme, one of the hardest parts of my ministry life is going to a nursing home. I'm sitting with someone who knows Christ as their Savior. They're looking forward to heaven and they ask me this question, why doesn't God take me home? I don't want to be here. I have nothing else to look forward to. Some of them get very little visits. They sit in that center loft at Sunnyview, wherever it may be, and they're just waiting to die. And for those who know Christ and know that the promise of God is really clear and real, 
They asked the question, Pastor, when is God going to take me home? Would you pray with me that God takes me home? I spent all of my ministry life praying that God heals people and makes them better and well. And then on some occasions, I have people saying, will you tell God to let me die? And they're looking forward to heaven. They don't want to be here. They know what God has for them, and they are looking forward to heaven. And so whatever you're looking forward to, it depends on the magnitude of what it is that you're dealing with. Whether it's the mundane routines of life, you're looking forward to vacation, or the end of life, or the loved one that you can't wait to see again. But there are things in your life that you're looking forward to, and one of them certainly wants to be heaven. The promises of God are incredible, and many times they keep us focused in the midst of all the uncertainties of life. And they keep me going, even when I don't always see why it is that God is doing what he's doing or what he's trying to do or where this is going or when will it end or how bad will it get and all of those things. There's a couple of verses tucked away at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is that great hallmark of faith. You've all been to halls of faith and halls of fame where people's pictures and posters. My wife's got one in our basement. It's her, her sports memorabilia hall of fame. So she's got NASCAR players and football players and basketball player. No, basketball. Football, soccer, hockey. I mean, the list is endless. I'm down watching Hallmark. She's watching every sport under the sun. <laughs> and so you walk through here and you see all these people that we've known or met through the years and, and all of those kind of things. And in Paul's case, it, probably the writer of Hebrews, he said, I got to tell you some stories. And then he begins talks about Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Noah and the stories are endless and you almost feel this giddiness of Paul writing all of this down, remembering what he's heard all of his life about the history of the Israelites. And then something seems to happen. It's almost as if he runs out of time. As a matter of fact, in verse 32, he said, I don't even have enough time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and David and Samuel and the prophets. David, how do you miss David and Samuel? How do you not have time to do those? By the way, where are you going? that you don't have enough time. All of a sudden, is the clock running out and they're leaving at the end of your sermon? You don't have time? I know this morning that I need to be done in 65 minutes or you've already checked out. Now, some of you check out when you fill the last blank in your sermon notes, which is why I always have one at the very end. <laughs> and it's, what, what were you doing? But he said, I ran out of time. I don't even have time to tell you about some of these guys, but I'm telling you, they went through faith. They conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames. But some of them went about in sheepskin, in verse 37, and goatskins. They were destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world wasn't even worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended to their faith. This is the two verses. Yet not a one of them received what had been promised. They'd heard the promises all their life, but they didn't receive it. You follow me. You trust me. I'll lead you to an amazing place and an amazing journey. And they died without ever having seen the end of that promise. And then verse 40, but God had something planned for them. Matter better for them and for us so that only together, that means all of them together and us, would be, be then made now, we started by saying we live by faith and not by sight. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. And we've heard that phrase over and over again. Look, we're walking by faith. Any of you ever been to heaven? No? Okay. Well, we're going to talk about it. You, hopefully, if you know Jesus, are going there. How do you know what it looks like? 
Any of you see Jesus dying on the cross? Raised from the dead. All right? But you live by faith. You're here because of what we share in the Word of God. If somebody's told you in the Word of God, you accepted Jesus as your Savior, and you knew that he really did come, live on this earth. It wasn't just a Christmas story. It really was real. He was crucified, dead, and buried, literally for real, rose from the dead, and offered you forgiveness and eternal life. The opportunity to start all over again. And not a one of us in here ever saw that really take place. But we live in absolute faith believing that God has and will change our lives for all eternity. So we know we live by faith and not by sight. But if we're really honest, that's a little bit easier to quote than to live sometimes. Because life gets really uncertain and difficult. And I don't know how to gauge all of that when I don't really know why this body keeps deteriorating the way it does and why this cancer is taking its toll and why this radiation and chemotherapy that I'm having to go through is doing all of this. I know I'm living by faith and not by sight, but man, I wish I knew where this was going to go. And I find myself asking, that I would love to go back and ask that, what kept you going? I mean, you're living in holes in the desert what kept you going when they never saw what really was going to happen, when they looked at life with such uncertain eyes, when they saw no answer and no end in sight? What kept them going in the middle of all of that was the trust in the sovereignty of God and the belief that everything he promised, even if I didn't see it in this life, would definitely come true in the next. I've got to believe that for some of you, there are things that keep you going in difficult days at unpredictable times. The uncertainties of life with hurricanes and terrorism and school shootings and wars in the Middle East. And we wonder what's going to happen next. And while we're living in uncertain times, you need to understand that the people John is writing to are living in times even worse. When they really have no idea what's going to happen next and will they ever, ever see the end result of their promise. John himself had no idea whether he was going to get off that island. He had no idea if he was going to end his life there or life for him would end there. These incredible things that he had experienced in the book of Acts and all the things that God had done and people coming to faith in Christ and a church growing by leaps and bounds and the opportunities he had now here at the end of his life sitting on an island writing, having no idea if he would ever get off and what the future was going to hold. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of all of that, God gives him a portrait of himself. All of a sudden, in the middle of all of that uncertainty, Jesus shows up. And he reveals himself in very unusual ways. John had not seen Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years. Remember, he went to heaven, and that was it. Now John here is ministering for these last 20, 30, 40 years and hadn't seen him since. And now in this unusual way in chapter 1, Jesus shows up and reveals himself, and John is blown away. And then these unveiling of the churches in, the, in those next couple of chapters, and, and then he gets to chapter 4 and 5. And it's almost as if Jesus said, John, I want to give you a, a glimpse of the future. Now, as a matter of fact, in verses in chapter 6 to 19, he's going to give him a really unusual glimpse of the future. Things are going to get hard. Things are going to get really, really hard. Life is uncertain. The power and majesty and judgment of God is going to be poured out in ways no one can even fathom. And it's almost as if 
God says, John, before I show you that, I, you're, you're not going to be able to, by the way, you, you won't be able to handle that. So let me stop right now and give you a glimpse of the future in chapter 4 and 5, just so that you know that at the end of all of that, everything I said is going to come true, but I'm afraid you won't be able to handle that, so let me tell you this. Fascinating, because at the end of every section of Scripture, in, in the verses and the challenges that he gives these churches, he also gives them a promise. He's told them about their deficiencies. He told them about the things they're doing well. He encourages them as well as challenges them. And at the end of every single one, he gives a promise. To the church at Ephesus who fought their, lost their first love, I'll give you the right to eat from the tree of life, a symbol of eternal life. To that persecuted church in Smyrna, I'm going to give you a crown, which is a symbol of victory at the end of a very difficult race. I'll give some manna to the church of Pergamum, that symbol of hunger being satisfied in Christ, a symbol of what God did in the Old Testament when they wandered in the desert, wondered if they'd ever get to the promised land. God gave them glimpses of his provision. He said, to you who are going through that, I'm going to give you the same. I'm going to give you a white stone with a new name on it, a symbol of identification. He knows me. Thyra, Tyra, I'll give you authority over the nation's the opportunity to share in the reign of Christ, to Sardis, white robes, which are symbols of purity, to Philadelphia, the temple of my God, a new name with your name written on it. Whenever you see pictures of ancient ruins, you almost always see the pillars still standing. Everything crumbles around it. They stand. They carry the load. He said, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. I'm going to write your name, symbol of identity that God knows that I am his. Even to that lukewarm church in Laodicea, he said, I promise you that if you stay true to the end, I'll give you the right to sit with me on my throne, another reminder of future destiny. All of these churches going through incredibly uncertain and difficult times, and to every single one, he gives them a promise. And if you and I are ever going to navigate the uncertainties of life and the uncertainties of the times in which we live and the future, you need to hold on to these promises. And John in chapter 4 gets a vision of heaven and tries to describe it in words in a two-dimensional form to something that he can't even fathom as to how to put down in words. You've all had the experience, I'm sure, at one point or the other where you've sent an email to someone and you're not sure if they fully understood what you were trying to say in that word thing that you just sent. And I always say, look, emails are for information, not conversation, because they get diluted in that text. Send a text to somebody and and they think you're mad because you didn't put enough emojis on the end of it to tell them how. John is locked into just trying to describe something that no one has ever seen in all of their lives in words in a two-dimensional form that he has no idea is going to stand the test of time for all of these years. He said, after this, after the churches, after I saw Jesus, I looked and there before me was a, a door standing open in heaven. So what would you do? I'd go through it. And I heard a voice coming to me and saying to me, come up here and I'm going to show you what's going to take place after this. And I'll explain all that next Sunday. At once I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat on that throne had an appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. Seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white, had crowns of gold on their heads. 
From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. They were the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was lo- looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and back. That's a symbol of your mom. Is it not uncanny how moms can see everything? I know what you're doing. How do you? Uh, we know. You just know, right, as a mom. Never mind. First living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with the face of a man, the fourth a flying eagle. Every one of the four living creatures had six wings and would cover with eyes all around. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. When God said to Moses, look, I want you to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, who shall I say you are? Tell them I am. Always was, always will be, always has been. Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sat on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne. They worshiped him who lives forever and ever. They laid their crowns at the throne. They said, you are worthy. Our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. I can't even imagine what it was like for John to try to describe something that he has never ever seen before and no one else has ever seen. It reminded me when I was writing all that down, I had an opportunity in Mali in 1992 in West Africa to go to a village that most of them had never seen the gospel, never heard the gospel, didn't know anything about it. We had to have a generator because there was no lights and showed them the Jesus film. And many of them, for the first time, are hearing about Jesus. The film is in French, and in the middle of it, Jesus gets in a boat and is sailing to the other side in the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and the missionary, while this is going on, starts to talk in a tribal language. Now, many of them knew English, they knew French, and they all had a tribal language. And I watched it, and I listened to her, and I had no idea what she was saying. I knew a little bit of French. And when it was over, I said, Becky, what were you doing? What were you trying to explain that they couldn't understand? She said, none of them had ever, ever seen a body of water. They live in the desert. They are born here, live here, and die here in this desert. And they have never in all of their lives seen a body of water. And so when Jesus gets in this boat and sails across Galilee, I'm trying to explain to them what a body of water is. Now, for you and I are going, why? We all know what that's like. They had never, ever seen one. That's the dilemma John is in. He's trying to explain. Paul said, look, you need to know, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. No mind can even conceive. And here John is over 2,000 years ago living on a remote island trying to explain that. And somehow he gets transported well before Star Trek thought of it. He gets transported. And inside that door of heaven, he sees three things, a throne, a lion, and a lamb. All the symbols of the unshakable truths of God down through the generations of the Israelites. I'm sure at some point you've all heard the phrase or said, that, what in the world is going on? You ever use the phrase, what in heaven is going on? Well, John gives us an idea. You find yourself wondering, what really takes place up there? Is there really an up there? Keith Green, who I listened to forever in the 80s, said if God 
made this world that we see that can take your breath away in six days, can you imagine what heaven looks like when he spent 2,000 years getting it ready? Said to his disciples, I'm leaving in John 14. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. You've had 2,000 years. Can you imagine what it looks like? I mean, this world that you and I live in is breathtaking. He's had all this time preparing it. What does it look like? Well, there really is a heaven, a place where God dwells, Isaiah 66. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. In Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended, angels came down and said, what are you looking at? And they told him and said, the same Jesus that you saw go up into heaven is going to come back and receive you. When Stephen was being stoned to death in Acts chapter 7, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. John 14, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, but heaven can best be described as the place where God most fully makes his presence known. What's it like up there? <laughs> I have no idea. I do know that it's more than you can possibly imagine. We all have phrases that we overuse sometimes, right? Phrases like, well, at the end of the day, it is what it is. And, of course, the famous like. You know what I'm saying, like? Like, you know what I'm saying, like? Everything is a like in the middle of every phrase for some people. I overuse things as well. I have this bad habit every once in a while on a Sunday morning asking you a question at the beginning of the service. Two or three of you raise your hand, and I'll say, oh, only two of you. And I, I do it, and I'm trying to stop from those bad habit things that I know I do. I got a phrase called more than you can possibly imagine. And my son-in-law, the oldest one, who is a preacher, by the way, makes fun of me all the time when I say that. He said, well, if you have more than you can possibly imagine, how am I supposed to imagine it? And I don't know how to answer that question. But I will say it is more than you can, I love you more than you can possibly imagine. Well, if I can't imagine it, how do I know you really love me that much? You know, all those kind of questions. And that's why I titled the sermon. Matter of fact, I have my other daughter send it to him this morning. The title of the sermon. Paul said, when he says, no eyes have seen, no ears have heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those that love him. I believe he's saying it's better than you think. Whatever you imagine it to be, it's better than that. Whatever you possibly think it could be, it's more amazing than you can imagine. More incredible than I can possibly put in words. Now we see but a poor reflection, Paul says, in a mirror, then face to face. And it's almost as if John, you ever go to a building and the, the, the windows are smudged and you, you want to look inside so you wipe the stuff away and all of a sudden you see something in there? That's what John is doing here. He's allowing the glass to be cleaned off a little bit so that we can see it. And we see all of these things taking place that don't need seem to make sense, these creatures that are there, but what you need to understand is it's most likely a, there's a rabbinic Jewish statement earlier than AD 300 that says the mightiest of the birds is the eagle, the mightiest of domestic animals is the bull, the mightiest of wild beasts is the lion, and the mightiest of them all is man. So what John is seeing or what seems to be seeing is all of humanity and all of creation is wrapped up in these four entities and they're all before the throne. Ezekiel paints the same picture. You've got all of that taking place. These elders that no one is for sure exactly what they represent, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, a representation of the Old and New Testament, not always sure again. The focus is not on the, on the who but on the what. 
And they're there to worship. <coughs> they're there to give glory to God. <coughs> to God. You do that. Thanks, brother. So in the middle of all of that in chapter 5, thank you. In the middle of all that in chapter 5, Jesus comes again. Now, there's a lot that's going to happen from 6 to 19, and, and all of that is in this scroll that kind of unfolds it in extremely unusual ways. And it's, it, there's so much power and so much majesty and so much magnitude in all of that, God's judgment, God's authority, and all of that. And it's a, it's a scroll that no one can open, and, and John's devastated. I want to know the future. I want to know what's going to happen. Is there no one that can open this? And he begins to weep, and then angels come to him and say, yeah, yep, 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 he's coming. So then Jesus shows up, a lamb like that was slain. And it's all described in chapter 5, and, and I looked, and they were saying, worthy are you to take the scroll. Open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased us for God. Persons from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you made them to be a kingdom of priests and serve our God that will reign on the earth forever. And I looked and a thousand, ten thousand by ten thousand people came and circled the throne and all kinds of angels. And they said the same thing. Worthy is the lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory forever. The poor living creature said amen to that. Which means I agree with that. You see all of this unfold and take place, and it's an incredible moment of time that John is trying to describe. When he uses the word 10,000 times 10,000 in Greek, from what I understand, they only had a word for that, didn't have a word for million or billion. And so he says, let me just tell you, more than you can imagine, more angels than anyone can count are there giving praise and honor to God, and we get to join them. In verse 12, you see what they do. I, I looked, and and I heard them numbering thousands, and they circled the throne, and they sang, and they gave praise. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength. And that heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and all that is in it singing to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb, be praise and glory and power forever and ever. Now, I hate to point this out, but there's something you need to notice in chapter 5, verse 12. And that is this. Music in heaven is going to be loud. So get used to it. Music in heaven is going to be loud. So get used to it. We're just trying to prepare you for it. Because I hear all the time, it's loud in here. You ain't seen nothing yet till you get to heaven. And I understand that. I have, I have hearing trouble. I'm, I, there's a lot of things I can't hear, so I, I get all of that. I went to hear, you know, when... When your family puts on your dinner plate free hearing tests in that place on Route 8 North by the big water tower, you know that they're tired of you saying, what? Because you turn, huh? You know. And so I went, you get in the booth, and you feel like you're in fourth grade. <laughs> you know, all this stuff again. And doesn't say a word, he comes in and he switches the earphones, going, what's that going to do? So he switches the head thing, and I go out, and he's doing the same thing, and I'm doing the hand thing, and Sometimes you want, I'm just going to fake the guy out or whatever. <laughs> so I get out, he walks out, and, and, and I sit down, and he doesn't say a word. I'm sitting there waiting. He says, what on earth do you do for a living? I said, I'm a preacher. You can't be. 
Now I'm thinking, did he hear one of my sermons or what? <laughs> he said, your hearing shot. And then he draws a picture of the inner ear, like I really wanted to see that. And it's got little sheaves of wheat in it. He said, your wheat field done blown down. <laughs> and so I told him about all the things we had to do on a farm, all the machinery and all the stupid things that I did as a kid that your dad said, you're going to pay for that someday. Yeah, I did. He said, I could, I could give you $3,000 hearing aids and you'd just come back and yell at me louder because they didn't work. And so when I hear sounds and I hear people say it's too loud, I'm going, I'm not sure if I know exactly what you're saying. But I get it sometimes. And I just want you to know that we're preparing you for heaven because it's going to be loud. The difference is you won't care because you're in the presence of Almighty God. It won't be a big deal because the center of our focus will be the majesty of God. It will be one of those take your breath away kind of experiences. Someone said a long time ago, I love it. Life isn't measured by the breath you take, but by the moments that take your breath away. Life isn't measured by the breaths you take, but by the moments that take your breath away. This experience in heaven is going to be one of those moments. We'll come into the presence of Almighty God. We'll bow at His feet. We'll lay our crowns before Him. Our rewards belong to Him. We exist for the glory of God. We've been singing I Can Only Imagine for 10 years. I don't know how long the song has been around. Then I made a movie out of it. And it's so true. What will I really do? Will I stand in his presence? Will I sing for his glory? What will I really do? Well, I maybe I can't say a word. Maybe I can't. I don't know what I'll do. I know when I get in the presence of Almighty God, it will take my breath away. I'll be able to look Jesus in the eye and say, thank you. Last night when the team was traveling and we're all traveling and we're, we're praying everybody gets home safely and know it's going to be late and come across the... the Somerset area, and it's pouring so bad I couldn't see. It's one of the first times on a turnpike I'm really scared. I mean, 35 miles an hour, and you got people all around you, and you can't see a thing. And then I know Jason in the back, Jonathan, my son-in-law, is on our motorcycles trying to get home, and his whole team's trying to get home, and just praying like crazy. And then you know they all get home, and you just say, thank you, God. And you realize that's such a small phrase, such an incredible thing that he did to bring everyone home safely. And then every time I come to communion, I hold in my hands a symbol of his unbelievable grace and love. Body shed, broken, beaten for me, blood shed so that I have forgiveness of sin and all washed away and never to be brought up ever again anymore. And I just say thank you. And I thought, what an inadequate phrase for such an amazing gift. And so it gives us the opportunity for praise. He gives us the opportunity to say more than just thank you, but to worship before him, to worship him because he created us, he rescued us, he redeemed us, he paid the ultimate price so that we can be free. Last Monday when you celebrated Memorial Day, I really hope you took the time to recognize that your freedom wasn't free. That it cost the blood of hundreds and hundreds of people down through time you may not like the United States. You may not like what's going on. But I'm telling you, I've been around the world. It's one of the greatest places on the planet. One of the greatest countries on the planet. And a lot of us, because men and women gave their all so that you and I could enjoy what we do and enjoy this great place. And we never want to take that for granted. We never want to take what Jesus did for us for granted. For the last number of weeks, Connie and I have been watching... Uh, show on Fox News called Legends and Lies about the Civil War. And there are a number of them they've done, and this one was captivating and disappointing in hundreds of different ways. What 
was done to the African-American population, what was done between brother and sister and brother and brother in that war and hundreds of thousands of men and all that went with that and the devastation and the impact that it took. Whole generations of families wiped out because of that war. There was a scene at the end of the war, April 4th, 1865, when Lincoln is going back to Richmond. And as he does, hundreds and hundreds of former slaves come and bow and kneel and thank him. It got so bad, they couldn't get him to where he was to go. And his security guards couldn't hold them back. And I watched that and I thought, that's just a small snippet of what it's going to be like for you and I who've been rescued and redeemed and bought by the blood of the Lamb, who know Christ is our Savior and know what the future holds, and we get to see Jesus face to face. And we get to say thank you for what you've done. All of that, as I sat yesterday in those two conferences, made me think, Number one, I don't want to miss it, and I'm not going to because I know Christ is my Savior. But what it made me think is I want to make sure none of you miss it. You're my family. I want to make sure that not a one of you in here that hear us preach and sing every single Sunday never miss what the future holds. But if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you will miss it. You will not go to heaven. If you have not come to a point in your life where you've Open your life up to Jesus. You've given your life to him, accepted him as your savior. You will not, I don't care what anybody has told you, I'm here to tell you the word of God says, you'll miss it, and I don't want you to miss it. I love, your family. I don't want you to miss it. So today, if you don't know for sure, you're going to heaven. Boy, you really want to do that in the next 15 minutes, because I'm telling you, we're going there musically. And I want you to see it. I want you to experience it, and I don't want you to miss it. For those of you who know Christ is your Savior, the other thing that I want you to kind of get a feel for is, wow, I don't want my family to, I don't want my family to miss this. I, I don't want my friends to miss it. I don't want my coworkers to miss it. I want to make sure they're there. And then even beyond that, I want to make sure that people in Abekistan don't miss it in Afghanistan, in Iraq, Iran, and Mongolia, and all over the world. I want to make sure they don't miss it. Because he says here, people from every tribe and every language and every tongue, I'm just telling you, you butler people are going to be shocked when they get to heaven. Because it's not going to look this way. It's going to be incredible. And I want you to experience that. I want you to recognize your friends and your families and your neighbors who aren't like us, who don't look like us, they have the same opportunity that we have to see God in glory. And people from all over the world, from every tribe and every language and every tongue get to see that as well. So when I mark missions on my envelope and in my money, they're going to hear this truth. Man, I don't want them to miss it. I'll never see them. I may not go, but I'm telling you, I don't want them to miss it. So when you sing this morning and you know Christ is your Savior, Man, you ought to celebrate with everything you've got. And there's got to be a part of you that says, I want to make sure that my friends, my family, people around the globe don't miss what we're going to get to celebrate someday. Father, your word is incredible. It's powerful. In two-dimensional form, it explains to us one of the most amazing concepts of all time. The 
it's so hard to be able to put our minds around it. So as we sing and celebrate, join with thousands for the last 2,000 years who have been doing what we're going to do, give you praise and honor and glory. Help us, oh God, to just get a sense of that. And then stir us to want to make sure that everyone we come in contact with hears the same that we have heard. So they don't miss what we're going to get. Thank you.